Okay, guys, it is August 17th, 2017, and we are back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. This is Rafael Garcia, along with my friend and partner, Swan Humes. How are you doing today, sir? Good as usual, sir. Always excited to be on the show. Good, good, man, good. Could you turn me down a little bit on your end? I can still hear my echo over there. Uh, Turn me down just a tad bit. Yep, that works. So first and foremost, I want to apologize. If you hear a dog barking in the background, folks, I have a puppy here that's four months old and almost a hundred some odd pounds, maybe close enough. So if she wants to bark, she can bark because she could probably eat me. So it's either her barking or my life. And I'm going to choose my life this time around. So if if she barks, she barks, but um, I apologize. But yeah, she's chilling right now. But anyway, we got quite a bit of things to talk about from the world. I can't even really say mixed martial arts. Same thing like I said last week. We can't really say mixed martial arts when a lot of the subject matter that's coming out over the week deals with boxing. And it pertains to um, Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather. Probably you can even mix in a little bit of Pauli Maginelli in there again, as usual. But, you know, we got quite a bit to talk about that. There we got some big fights to talk about that have been announced for the next couple of shows and uh, just some other news bits to go over. So we have where should I start, man? Like so, Shawan, I'm gonna go ahead and start with uh, McGregor Mayweather first and foremost. Eight ounce yeah. gloves. What you think, man? Uh, who does it give an advantage to? Uh, is it such a big deal? How should this be explained to casual fans? I am of the ilk where it's like, well, I was listening today that Floyd Mayweather fought 46 of his 49 victories came in eight ounce gloves. Uh, This is a change that he pushed for. So I think it's kind of one of those situations where it's like if Conor McGregor scores a flash knockout, then it's going to be like, oh, well, the eight ounce gloves uh, played to his advantage. If Floyd has faster hands, it's like, oh, the eight ounce gloves played to his advantage. What are your thoughts on this, and where do you stand on that side of the debate? Well, first, first of all, I was kind of shocked that they uh, actually went through with it because rarely do they make changes in glove size like this. I don't think I've ever heard of another fight where someone requested a smaller glove size before and is actually enacted. Usually, they just say for safety reasons, we're not doing this. Not you know, and I understand MMA fighters fighting four ounce gloves, but that's 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 kind of the uniform rules. And boxing, depending on the weight class, is depending on the size of the gloves. And so I've never really heard of a major fight where they've actually lowered the glove size, especially when you have a fight between two guys with such disparity in their uh, quality of opposition and the amount of fights they've had. So that kind of threw me off in the first place. Um, as far as the advantage. With the smaller gloves, I don't know that uh, a lot of people say it's McGregor. I, I don't know that the gloves actually add to the power. The thing I was thinking about, I talked to a friend of the show, Lee Wiley, and he's a boxing historian, boxing guy. And the conclusion I kind of came up with him was that Floyd might try to cut him up because those gloves, the power isn't so much of a thing, but those, those gloves offer less protection. There's a lot more chance of swelling and cuts you can have with those kind of gloves. So... If Floyd's thinking about outboxing him, he could get a stoppage without actually getting a legitimate KO stoppage if he can cut him up bad enough at distance. If he's getting away from McGregor's offense and he's countering with jabs, pull counters, leap and uh, check hooks, there's a possibility he could just slice McGregor up and they'll have to stop the fight on cuts. If anybody, you know, if they see the fight 
is uh, in danger of, you know, like where he has a cut over the right part of his eye where they're thinking it could be danger to him. And if that fight, if a fight ended on cuts, that would be kind of a fight that uh, it'd be disappointing to fans, but it'd be one that would save both people. It would kind of save face, if you know what I mean. Mayweather would get his stoppage. McGregor isn't officially stopped because it stopped on cuts. And you kind of, you could have a rematch or you could just end the fight with both guys kind of, you know, having, not not looking any worse for it. Because Mayweather would have got a stoppage, proven his boxing superiority. McGregor gets stopped on cuts. You know, MMA fans hate to see fights stopped on cuts. So that would kind of work in both people's favor. I, I don't know that it, like I said, most people are going to say it favors McGregor. But I don't know that it, it favors McGregor necessarily because it's still a matter of boxing. You know, smaller gloves or not. And I know he hits hard. I don't think that he hits the way that MMA people think he hits. Because in MMA, you have guys training for all sorts of contact. In boxing, all you do is prepare to take, absorb, roll with, block, and counter punches. So a guy who is in boxing, he's used to getting punched in the face by really gifted guys, really fast guys, really hard-hitting guys. I'm not saying McGregor couldn't catch him and do something with it, but I don't. I, I just don't think it's very likely. I mean, it's possible. Anything's possible. McGregor is a professional combat sports athlete, but I, I don't think the glove size changes a whole lot more about it. You know, anything you tell me it benefits McGregor, it would benefit Mayweather too. If it's going to let McGregor hit harder, it hit, it'll let Mayweather hit harder. If it'll let McGregor use his hand speed, then it's going to let Floyd make you know, use his hands to be too. So I don't, I don't see the big difference in it, to be honest. So you said quite a bit there. You said a couple of different things that, um, it's, it's interesting. I actually kind of, I listened, um, I listened to something earlier today where they were talking about this being a serious health risk because you have one situation where, I mean, Tim Haig just died because of head injuries that occur in a boxing match. Then you had the Puerto Rican guy who has, is now has serious brain damage because of the shots to the back of the head. And you have a situation where the Nevada State Athletic Commission has decided to basically put these guys in more risk than they originally would be just for, I guess, excitement, excitement factor. And I wonder if someone has to answer for that. If there's a serious injury, imagine if, imagine if Connor gets hit in a way that jeopardizes him ever fighting again. I mean, think of the, 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 the repercussions that would have all because of the decision of the making the gloves fight smaller for this one fight. So I do agree with you. I, it is surprising that they made this decision willy-nilly like this and they made it last minute because you don't know what's going to happen. And it does put these guys in a higher level of risk just because now, you know, they're that much closer to throwing around um, uncovered hands. Well, I mean, it is, like you said, there could be a danger of somebody getting cut. And there, there is more danger, I guess, with the gloves. But the fact of the matter is, if there's danger with 8-ounce gloves and you're getting cut and you have an irreparable damage done, Conor McGregor is going to make over $100 million to risk that damage. Whereas in the UFC, he only got paid, you know, $1 million to risk his health and his mental faculties. I'm not saying it's worth the risk. I'm not saying they should put his, his health in jeopardy or Mayweather's. But when you think about the kind of money they're getting paid to do this, then it makes more sense. Then it almost makes the MMA fights look almost barbaric because you're paying guys thirty, forty thousand dollars to take a similar risk, as well as getting kicked, punched, and kneed in the head. 
You see what you, you see where I'm going with that? I mean, it's a risk. He could never fight MMA again, but if he makes a hundred million or a hundred million plus, you he doesn't necessarily need to fight MMA ever again because MMA is one of those things you have to fight for years. And years. even if you're a big earner, you have to fight for years and years and years to make that kind of money. Whereas in boxing in one fight, he'll have what double tripled quadruple all of his, all, all the money he's made in MMA altogether in one night. And that's not including his promoters cut of it. Cause he's also co-promoting this. He's one of the promoters on this fight with McGregor promotions. So he's making a lot of money on this. But like you said, with the safety thing, that's the thing that shocks me because usually they don't make these kind of changes last second. I mean, this is two weeks before the fight. This isn't something that was agreed upon months about, months ago. But the, the the issue is it's a money fight. It's Mayweather involved. And I think Mayweather wanted this. I mean, I know McGregor was talking about it, but I think if Mayweather was against it, it wouldn't happen. And I know people are going to tell me the commission has rules and they follow a guideline. But the fact of the matter is all these commissions, all these boxing organizations – they don't follow guidelines so much as they follow money. That's why you have guys take step-aside money so that somebody else can defend a title or take another fight. Mayweather wanted this. This is going to be the biggest selling event in Las Vegas and the big, biggest moneymaker they're going to have ever, if not in, la in the past 10, 12, 15 years, and they're not going to miss out on that money. They're doing whatever they can to create interest in this fight because now that they switched the gloves, how much more interest has come out of that now? How many more MMA guys are thinking, well, maybe Conor has a chance? He's using eight ounce gloves. He, that's where his real power is going to come in. He won't have all that extra padding holding him back. So now they've even increased the odds, and they've got more people interested. They're doing every, t attacking every angle to make sure this fight sells. So I believe this is just another step for for Floyd Mayweather to make the fight more appealing, to make it seem like the opportunity, the chances are a little bit more in McGregor's favor. Do you think it does help serve up the situation where it's more now more in McGregor's favor? Um, do you or do you think that this is something more along the lines that helps Floyd? Like I said, you know he's been doing this for a while. He has forty six fights, forty six professional fights out of his forty nine came in eight ounce gloves. So do you think he stands to benefit more? Uh, well, I mean, like I, I said earlier, it, it still comes down to boxing. And I mean, if if McGregor, let's just say McGregor has this huge, incredible knockout power. If you can knock him out of eight ounces, he can knock him out of ten ounces. If you have that kind of life-altering power, all it comes down to is still boxing. And Mayweather, as we stated before, has more professional experience at eight-ounce gloves than McGregor's had. The only the, What people are thinking is McGregor's got that puncher's chance, and this will increase increase his chance of landing that power shot. But you have to think about it this way. Mayweather wouldn't even let somebody like uh, Marco, Marcos Maidana use the kind of gloves he wanted. Not dropping a size, but just use the kind of gloves he wanted for a concern about the punching power and the bruising and the cutting. So why is he so confident that he's going to let McGregor drop a size and use whatever glove he wants to come into the ring against him? He could be overconfident, or he just might know that I've got four or five times the 20 billion times more the experience than McGregor and regardless of what kind of glove size we're using it still comes down to boxing boxing skills boxing acumen boxing strategy and that's that's the way I look at it I don't think it gives McGregor too much more of an advantage anything he can do in eight ounce gloves he can do a 10 ounce gloves anything he can't do in eight ounce gloves he can't do he can't do in 10 ounce gloves either so this is more of a change for him because he's never boxed professionally for one he's never boxing eight ounce gloves and if he has he hasn't done it in like what 15 18 in 20 years, he stopped boxing at, at 18, 14, something like that, 14 or 13. 
So it's been a long time. It doesn't give him any advantage except the perceived advantage of his power. And if his power is as great as everybody thinks it is, 10-ounce gloves wouldn't make a difference. He would still be capable of KOing um, Floyd Mayweather. The only difference is maybe now he could, like, you know, like you said, hit him behind the head, rabbit punch him, stuff like that. But if he does too much of that stuff and Floyd can't continue – that hasn't that that hasn't that doesn't help his cause either, because you know that he's trying to make a statement and put put himself on the map and put himself in a potential opportunity to make more money. Winning off of rabbit punches or fouling does not do him any favors. So I I don't see what the difference in the gloves makes. To be quite honest, it's still boxing. It's definitely still boxing there, and one of the kind of unwritten rules, I guess for boxing is the release of sparring videos and footage. Well, last weekend we saw that the, that good old Dana White, UFC president, decided to release, what was it, about 15 seconds of action from 12 rounds of sparring between Conor McGregor and Paulie Marginelli, um, where Marginelli got knocked down. It looks like he was pushed. Some say it was a push. Some say it was actual knockdown. I'm sure you saw the footage, correct? Uh, yes, sir. Where do you stand? Uh, I'm kind of right in between. I can see how some people say it's a knockdown because he did get, he took some shots and after a punch was thrown, like, I'll put it like this. I've seen fights where I've seen less damaging shots be counted as a knockdown and I've seen more clean, more clean, legitimate knockdowns totally waved off as a slip. So it's it's right in that sweet spot. It does look like he landed clean and he was going down. But even at, even at full speed, you can see he's got his hand on the back of his neck. So if he's off balance and you're guiding him, and you throw a punch at the same, it's a boxing trick. You're you're ducking down, avoiding a shot because I hit you, I hurt you. When you duck down, I'm gonna put my forearm or the or my glove on the back of your neck. I'm gonna kind of guide you. And if I throw any sort of punch and you try to move your head or you try to move your feet, I'm pretty much controlling where you go and how you go there. So you're gonna be off balance. And the minute you make any sudden movement to move your head or to re Set your feet to get out of the way of the punch. You're just going to tumble over. And you're going to go down because the referee is going to see me throwing a punch, whether it connects hard or, or it's a grazing punch. And they're going to say, a punch was thrown, you went down, hit him and knocked down. But the fact of the matter is, and I guess it would be a legitimate knockdown, but he was playing by the rules. He's being sneaky. He was playing, you know, using all the old dirty boxing tricks. And he scored a knockdown by guiding his head. Same thing is if, I, if we were boxing and I hit you and I stepped on your foot. I hit you, you fell, it still counts as a knockdown if the referee doesn't catch me stepping on your foot. And if a referee is going to allow me to put my forearm on the back of your neck or you or guide you with my glove, and I'm throwing punches, then yeah, you're going to go down. You know, it's like if somebody tries to shoot on you and you're pushing their head down and they can't control your legs because they can't get their head up, they, they can't get their balance. Their balance is off center. So now you can pull your head up and, and jar them right into the ground. It's the same logic, except now you're throwing punches. So, in looking at that footage, uh, what were your thoughts? Do you think that this is a below the line for Dana White to share that footage, or is it just you know another situation of Uncle Dana being Dana and he's out here trying to promote fights and doing it the only way he knows how? Was he wrong for that, uh, or is it something that you're kind of like you're willing to look the other way for? Uh, well, since it is Dana, I don't have as much a problem. Like a lot of people were saying, Connor broke the rules of boxing. But if, if what they're saying is true, Connor didn't release the video. That was Dana's thing. So Connor shouldn't catch any blowback for Blake breaking the rules or crossing the line. From what I understood, all the videos and pictures that have come out 
have been an issue of people who were second and third hand in the camp releasing them, not Connor's people directly. So that's first off, he shouldn't, if that's the case, he shouldn't be getting any flack for this. Dana, I mean, this is the same guy who took two newly minted champions and basically disrespected them so much that all the fans have turned on him and thrown them in the garbage. So he does this to his own guys who help promote his events and make him money. So you can't imagine what he would do to somebody who ha he has no connection to, who makes him no money, who brings him no fame, who brings him no notoriety. If he's willing to push Woodley in the trash and throw Amanda Nunes out a window, what's he going to do to Pauly Malinaji? <laughs> I mean, seriously, he owes that dude nothing. He owes that dude nothing at all. He has no connection with him. He doesn't really know him past acquaintances. And if he's willing to throw, I mean, he's even criticized George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva and John Jones. So what does Pauly Malinaji mean to him, if you think about it? I mean, that's that's really a strong case there. You know, what does he mean to him? Because right now, it doesn't seem like... It, I mean, of course, you know, he's not... Like, right now, he's focusing on one fighter, and he's focusing on Conor McGregor, and that is, you know, that's allows him to do what he needs to do when it comes to a promotional standpoint. I still, you know, I, I still... I, I looked at the footage, I'm like, you know, I'm not watching this, because obviously it's a couple seconds of a 12-round fight. They're not going to release the whole 12-round footage, regardless of the fact. Even if Conor McGregor was blazing him for 12 rounds, they're not going to release the whole footage. Um, but... I felt some type of way watching. I feel like this just doesn't feel right. It, it doesn't feel up and up. It just feels like it feels like another Dana White. Not not a Dana White trick, but it's just like I don't want any part of this. I want this. This was kind of the tipping point for me, where it's like now I'm ready for this event to be over. I'm tired of all the promotion. I'm tired of all this talking. I just want to get this over with and let's move on and go and let's see what August 27th is like. Well, the thing about it is, you're 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 a very cerebral person. You're very intelligent when it comes to martial arts. You're you're closer. You understand the business side, but in my opinion, you're more closer to the fundamentals, the morality, the character, the the work ethic, the passion, the drive of becoming a better person through martial arts. Becoming a better martial artist is you become a better person. This fight isn't focusing on any of those characteristics. If you pay attention to it, it's all trash talk. It's all insults. It's all I'm gonna beat you this you're poor that dress like you dress your age you're a bum you're you know f word you're this gay slur racial slur maybe watch the all access the all access usually there's some sparring and training in it Re all we've basically seen is connor walking around with his shirt off driving in cars talking trash and mayweather hanging out with his family spending money talking trash there's been very little actual focus on the finer points of the game in any sort of technical or strategical or a tactical analysis from either guy. I mean, every time they get interviewed, it turns into a sideshow. So basically, the sideshow aspect of it is what they're playing up because that's what they have to sell the fight on. It's all skills and experience. This fight has no merit. It has no reason to be had. There's there's no argument to really be made. That's why you keep on seeing the same points be made by almost every single MMA coverage and almost every single boxing boxing writer. It's the same general statements because this fight has no merit. What they're selling it on is the sideshow aspect and the financial aspect. That's the only thing you really find any real meaty discussion on. It's the sideshow. What does this mean if he loses? What does this mean if Floyd wins? What if Connor goes a couple rounds? What if he makes it competitive for a second? 
people talk about that, but you never heard anybody really break down how he makes it competitive because nobody has any idea because nobody's seen Connor Box professionally. Nobody's seen Connor Box amateur either, so we have no concept of what's going to happen. So all they can do is sell the sideshow stuff. And if you're a, a real martial artist or you're a real boxing fan, that wears on you really quickly. That's like more reality show type stuff. But it brings in the casual fans. And the casual fans are the people who are gonna who, who demanded this fight. The casual fans are the ones who are going to pay the most for the fight. All the people who are just like straight up hardcore combat sports people, they might watch it out of curiosity. But it's that freak show curiosity. Just like you might look over on the side of the road when you see, see a bunch of cop cars in an ambulance or a fire truck. You don't really want to be involved in that, but you're just kind of curious. That that's what's happened, and I don't I don't think you're much of a sideshow kind of person. Yeah, I'm not gonna um, disagree with you at all. There, I do like the spectacle of professional fighting is an interesting component of the game to me because that usually correlates directly to how much money make you know that's not and and i'm all about these guys making their money you know you mentioned earlier that floyd may excuse me connor may make uh over 100 million for this fight you know i hope he does because i mean he's earned it he's put himself in a position to earn that money the fight game doesn't always allow athletes to make that much money and i'm not mad at him at all for it make that money and make that money right you know but sometimes it goes a little bit too far and i think we're headed in that direction with uh, what's going on now because I, I just don't want to um, I just don't want I, I don't want the sporting aspect of this to be missed and yes there's a situation we're in a situation where we have one guy who may be the greatest boxer of a generation fighting a guy who never has a who does not have any professional boxing matches under his uh, record and even though we have the ignorant fans out there, some of the ignorant fans out there are saying what they're saying. Oh, you know, he's he has a puncher's chance, or he can do X. He he knocks guys out. He does X, Y, and Z. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, we have all of this, but at the same time, uh, we need to recognize that this is an opportunity for history to be made on one point stands because Mayweather will be breaking a record in, um, with a 50-0 record, a 50-0 boxing career. But at the same time, you know, you have an opportunity for this to be probably one of the biggest upsets in professional sports. So I don't want that to be missed when we look at the entire spectacle, but it is, it is quite a uh, spectacle to uh, see. Well, the, the sad thing is, is if he beats Mayweather, especially by some flash KO or something, you know they're going to say the fix is in, it's a robbery, this is setting up a rematch. You know that's going to happen because fundamentally, based off actual technique, skill, experience, and time put in, there should be no way that Conor McGregor wins this. Now, him having some moments, him landing some punches, you know, everybody says Floyd Mayweather never, never gets touched. I hate when people say that because it's not true. He gets touched. Even when I, when I was comparing myself, when I sparred this, some pros and some amateur champions, when I say I didn't lay a glove on them, I didn't land anything that would have been meaningful. Did I touch their face on jabs? Did I land to the body? Yeah, but was I really doing anything? Was I any scoring any real points? No. Mayweather gets hit. He gets hit by a lot of people. He's gotten hit by crappy boxers. He's gotten hit by world-class boxers. He's gotten hit by so-so boxers. He's getting, he's gotten hit in every fight. It's not impossible to hit Mayweather. That that's a that comes up with, and it sounds really good. Connor's gonna touch him. Connor's gonna land on him. Even if Floyd's doing his defense, at some point Connor will probably land one, two, three, four shots around. He, it just just watch the punch that fight. Floyd gets touched. But the thing about it is, 
Connor is such a he's so underdeveloped in the boxing range. He what it, essentially he's saying is I can match all of Floyd's skill, his savviness, his seasoning in like a what, a six to eight month training period or a, a two month training period in a camp that I can find a way to match that. That's not really that that goes against everything we know about any sport or any sort of particular job even a job you have any job any career you don't just pick it up and then start doing better than the very best people in that field you know maybe i'll just decide to become a brain surgeon give me about a eight-week camp i'll be ready to perform brain surgery that's not how that works look what happened when brock lesnar tried out for the i think it was the patriots athletically he was fine but he didn't know he, he didn't know the skills well enough he couldn't execute well against the best of the best I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you on a couple of things here. So first with with Brock, um, he actually he made the practice squad and he was the last guy to get cut. But I'm not gonna and that's and that's with zero football experience. He didn't have any college experience, any high school. I think he last played was in high school, and his, that was like ten years before he stepped on to the football field to try to make it. He was the last guy cut. Like he was number fifty three to cut the roster down to fifty two. So that's saying a lot. But I want to talk about Floyd getting hit because you mentioned, yeah, Floyd gets hit. I, I'm going to challenge that. He doesn't get hit. I, I, I feel like he, he gets hit, but he gets hit sparingly, and he really gets hit by power shots. Like the last power shot I can think of him getting hit by was by Shane Mosley, the one that rocked him, and Floyd had to quickly clinch to keep from going down or keep from getting hit again. But he's getting hit by world-class boxers. He's not getting hit by someone who has taken, who has decided to step into a specialized area. You know, like this is, this is, I'm going to look at this like Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz has some of the best jujitsu in MMA. Some of the, some, I'm not going to say the best, but he has some top jujitsu in MMA. He submits guys left. I mean, he, he has the ability to submit guys left and right. He has some of the best highlight reel submissions in the game. The last time I saw him step onto a competitive grappling mat, he got submitted in like 45 seconds. So, yeah, he has that skill set, but when it comes to facing specialized athletes in that realm, he's out of his league. Not out of his league, but he's definitely out of the water, per se. Like, I can't think of Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns is, is, a, is another guy who has great jujitsu. We see what he does in the octagon all the time. He stepped onto the mat for uh, Polaris against Gary Tunin, and he got submitted. He'll hook. So how are those situations different than what Conor McGregor is doing against Floyd Mayweather? Well, the main thing about difference is, is the same difference between, it's the same difference between striking and grappling. In grappling, there's no fluke submission. Somebody can catch you, but there's a process you have to go through to do that. You can't, for the most part, you can't just athlete your way through grappling. You have to know how to grapple. You can't just you 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 have to have a certain level of skill, certain level of awareness to apply a submission, to get a takedown, to control someone. You can't just rely on being much bigger, much faster, much stronger. In striking, there's a little bit it's a little bit more free flowing. You don't have control over your opponent completely in every sense of the world. When you're grappling it's hand on hand, it's body on body. You can control them. You can manipulate them. And boxing and striking, it's more free. It's open space. It's free moving. You're not going to catch every single shot. And I'm not saying Floyd gets hit with hard shots or knockout shots, but this whole idea that he's never been touched. He fought Emmanuel Augustus. His nose was pretty bloody. His face was kind of scuffed up. 
how did that happen if he wasn't getting hit? Even with Miguel Cotto, Miguel wasn't hitting him with power shots, but then he was hitting him with jabs left and right all night long. His nose was once again bloody. His his nose was swollen up. That people make it seem like he's just untouchable. Pernell Whitaker was a much better defensive fighter. Pernell Whitaker got touched, and I understand it's by high level boxers. I get that completely. But and I don't think Conor McGregor is a high level boxer. But Conor McGregor one is not a novice. He he's boxed before. He's boxing. He, he's boxed competitively before. Secondly, he's an actual combat. He's a combat sports. He's a fighter. He's not like um, LeBron James trying to box or Chris Paul trying to box Floyd Mayweather. Some of the skills he has are applicable in this form. Now, does he have the level of skill? No. But if somebody's going to tell me he's not even going to land a punch, if he doesn't land a punch, my whole opinion of Conor McGregor is going to change. I'm not going to ever, I can't say, I can't see him going 12 rounds. I can't see him going two rounds and not laying any sort of glove on, on Mayweather. I just can't see it. I'm not saying he's going to knock him out. I'm not going to say he's going to land a KO shot. I don't see how he goes a whole round and he doesn't land something on him, at least a, at least a decent shot on him. Knockout shot, getting really rocked. People say they haven't seen Mayweather get rocked or hurt. That's different than saying Mayweather's never gotten punched clean in the face. He gets punched clean in the face a lot. He just gets punched clean in the face a, a lot less than the rest of the people who box. And that's what makes it seem like he's never touched. But he gets touched. He might roll with Sometimes he rolls with it. Sometimes he parries it. Sometimes he blocks it. Lots of times he just eats shots. He just eats shots. He gets hit to the body. He gets hit to the face. It's happened. And, and it's, just, it's just a fallacy that people keep on saying, he, he just doesn't get touched. He just walks through a fight without getting touched. Ask Floyd Mayweather how tough boxing is. It ain't tough. It ain't that tough if you ain't getting touched. How tough can it be if you're never getting touched? He is getting touched. It's just he does it in a manner. Um, my good friend, Connor Rebush, wrote an article about the art of bullshitting. And Mayweather controls it because it makes it seem he nods his head, he rolls, he leans, he gives you that deadpan look in, the, look in your eye. He makes it seem like he's not getting touched because he doesn't really react to it. Even when he gets caught, he doesn't really react. But he's getting hit. He's just not getting hit the way the guys need to hit him to turn the fight. But he's still getting hit. He got hit against Victor Ortiz. He got hit against Maidana. He gets hit a lot. He got hit against Birdo. Not a lot, but he got hit. So somebody's telling me McGregor's not going to land anything on him? Mm, I'm not buying that. Now, is McGregor going to outbox him? No, that's not going to happen either. That's that's in fact that's the only thing that would impress me if May, if McGregor went out there and actually technically outboxed Mayweather for 12 rounds. Him knocking him out wouldn't impress me. Him roughing him up won't impress me. Him going out there and engaging in a technical boxing match and outslicking Floyd Mayweather is the only thing he could do that impress me because that would be the only surprise thing that nobody would bet on. Nobody would bet on McGregor outboxing Mayweather. So that was surprise. That would impress me. Anything else is just what he he's doing to try to get under Floyd's Floyd's um skin so he can have some moments of success. Mm-hmm. And I'm not in I'm not totally disagreeing with you there. Definitely some um good analysis and some good breakdowns there. I don't want to spend the whole evening talking Connor and uh Mayweather because I think, you know, we have what, nine days left until the fight goes off. So I think we're gonna be talking about this fight, especially a lot next week. I'm gonna put you on the spot next week and make you make a pick. Um because, yeah, that's just what we do around these parts. We're not getting off the show next week until you settle down and you make a pick. And I want to know how it's going to happen. So I'm going to let you have this week to think about that. But just so you know, you're on the clock. I'm just letting you know that right now. Well, thank you for the advance warning. 
But um, <laughs> we're going to move on and we're going to talk about some of the things I have some of the news pieces from this week. I want to talk about the interim Titan fight that's been announced between Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee. I think that's for UFC 217, I think. Let me look at the let me look at the day real quick. Kevin the Motown Phenom. Feel like that's, that's see I typed that in and I still got the wrong damn day. Um, let me give me a second. Give me a second. Tony Ferguson, you know, he's been kind of jockeying for a title shot for I mean as long as anyone can think of. This fight has now been booked for UFC 216 on October 7th, where he will be facing Kevin Lee for an interim title, interim lightweight title. What are your thoughts about this? Um, there's a couple of different angles I would like to talk about. First, I want to talk about the idea of Ferguson and Lee as a fight, where you see, where you see this going, Khabib uh, Madoff. Where does he fall off in this matter? And then also, I want to bring McGregor back into it because I want to talk about him as a potential opponent for either one of these two guys. But first and foremost, let's talk about Ferguson and Lee. What are your thoughts on this fight? Is this the right fight to make for an interim title at this point in time? Well, I mean, the fact that Tony Ferguson, the first half of it is because Ferguson has been in position to either challenge for a title or have some kind of interim title match for a while. I can see why they didn't use Khabib because the dude, he's just not dependable. I, I'm not saying he's not healthy right now or, or he can't fight. But ever since Conor McGregor accused him of being a pullout merchant, he he just hasn't been able to get the job done. So and I and I don't know who else they could have made the fight with. Eddie Alvarez obviously he's going to be on tough. Justin Gaethje can't possibly get an interim shot off of one fight, even though it was an amazing fight. So who does that really leave for him? Dustin Poirier? Mm, no, Anthony Pettis, big name, but he's only beat Jim Miller recently. Kevin Lee's probably coming off the most high-profile win, even though it was on a really small card. It was a highly publicized fight. It was a dominant win. He's on a win streak, and he's been looking better each and every fight. Plus, right after that fight, he had that big uh, back-and-forth with Tony Ferguson because Ferguson was working behind the desk for that UFC telecast. So there's kind of a storyline behind it, too. So, I mean, who are who are on win streaks? You have two guys who've been looking dominant in their wins, and you have two guys who have a natural beef with each other because they kind of came into a conflict after after what uh, one of one of them had a fight. So it kind of is the best matchup you can make right now. All the other big players at 55 are kind of off the board, so that doesn't really leave you with a whole lot of options. I mean, once again, there's Khabib, but you never know what's gonna happen with that dude. You you don't you just never know. You don't know if he's gonna make it, he's gonna twist his ankle, he's gonna get a concussion, have a bad weight cut. You you just can't you have to see something for him before you can put your faith in him that he's gonna show up on fight night. And the thing that's probably the most interesting about Khabib is that he's healthy right now. Uh, you see him training on his Instagram page, you see him doing his work, and it seems like the UFC is just kinda holding him back for PC purposes, because a fight with Khabib and uh, Conor McGregor, I mean, Conor McGregor has been saved from facing a true legitimate wrestler since he's been brought into the UFC. Yeah, he fought Chad Mendez, but he fought Chad Mendez on, what, two weeks notice? And look what happened in the first round. Mendez took him down and bloodied him up. So imagine what it would be like for him to fight Khabib against against Khabib in a whole camp. I don't think the UFC wants to put him in that situation where he's on his, having to fight off of his back. 
So there's that matter there. And I think that's kind of why the organization is holding him out of this fight and, and keeps baiting him and dragging him along, waiting and forcing him to wait it out. I don't think that that fight that even Conor McGregor's talking about fighting him in Russia, I, I doubt that that happens after this Floyd Mayweather bout. Well, you're, you're right about that. But the fact of the matter is, Khabib has no one to blame but himself because he's never, like, what's our thing we always say? We can't bet on fighters who aren't active. He hasn't been active. He's oh, Something's always coming up. He's supposed to fight Donald Cerrone. Something came up. Had an interim title shot. Something came up. He's always injured. He's only been, I mean, like, what, in the past three or four years, he's fought twice? I mean, you can't, no matter how dominant you look, and only one of those wins was over a ranked guy. And I wasn't really impressed by that win either because beating Michael Johnson, to me, is like, I don't know, beating Katz and Gano, it, it's a big name, but it doesn't really mean much to me. Um, so, I mean, I can't I can't blame Connor. Connor has shown up injured. He's shown up, he's taken short notice fights. He's had p- opponents changed on him. He always shows up. Like he said, I always show up. Everybody talks about the favors I get and the treatment I get, but I never pull out of fights. I always show up, no matter if they switch somebody, no matter if they bring in a new guy, no matter if it's a last second fight, no matter what happens, I always take the fight. You can depend on me. That carries some weight in an organization like that. And, and I can't think of any other fighter who consistently does that, regardless of what happens with the opponent. Most fighters don't do that. So that's kind of on Khabib. And even though I know Khabib could probably finish him on the ground, I still think Khabib's entries, when, when their strikes involved, are garbage. I think Connor could catch him and either hurt him enough where he could get back up or just put, him, put his lights out. Khabib's not as good as he is once he gets his hands on you. Until he gets his hands on you, he ain't nothing special. I've seen that dude get hit by what I consider to be attribute strikers and just outright garbage strikers and get kind of knocked around. You don't have that leeway with McGregor. And after he gets done boxing, if he decides to continue, that left hand is going to be a little bit sharper. It might not be sharp enough for world-class boxing competition, but you saw what happened to Joe Duffy striking once he came back from boxing. Conor McGregor is already light years above everybody else. He's going to be that much better and that much further along when he comes back to MMA, in my opinion, as far as his footwork, his placement, and his ability to get shots off quickly. So while I see your point, I think there's ways Khabib loses this fight if Khabib can ever put enough wins together and be active enough that he can get himself in a position to deserve an interim or a title fight, which he has not done. He hasn't shown up. And nobody can talk me off that because it's fat. He's, he's like Kane Velasquez at 155, except he ain't won nothing. <laughs> I meant to say he ain't won nothing. I mean, you're not, I'm not going to disagree with you there. He really hasn't. And what's sad is that this, this is the guy who he... <sighs> I couldn't even imagine a situation where he is the champion and how the UFC could work with that, how they could properly promote him because he's he's someone who's coming into his own from a speaking standpoint, but he's not that he's not gonna draw nearly as much as McGregor or some of the other champions. You're totally right. He's not. So that's I think that that's one of those situations where they, they legit don't want this man to be a champion, but if he keeps dispatching guys, if he's he's kinda like a Jim Miller. You remember when Jim Miller went on that run? And they kept putting him in fights, hope not hoping that he would lose, but putting him in fights to kind of see, okay, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one. Maybe they, and they finally got that wish when they put him against Benson Henderson. But it, it's kind of like let's keep this guy out of the title picture for as long as possible. Oh, he's, because if, they're, if they're doing they're John there, they're John Fitching him basically. Basically, they're, they're giving the guy John, John Fitching or Jamie Maya, but Maya got all the way to the title fight before they before he mm-hmm. got stopped. Twice he got there yeah. twice. So yeah, like that. That's definitely a situation where it kind of is. Um, and you, you can see that happen. But let's talk about the fight that we do have 
and Liam Ferguson. What are your what are your thoughts on this fight there, and how do you see it going down? We got about two months till it actually occurs, but this fight kind of interests me. I, I I'm leaning towards Ferguson right now, but Kevin Lee is is, is a budding star in, in the making. So how do you see this fight going down for either man? I like Ferguson. Ferguson can box a little bit. I mean, everybody tells me he can box a little bit. I'm not. I've never been terribly impressed with his boxing. He can wrestle a bit. He can Muay Thai. He can grapple. The thing with Ferguson is, I've said this before. Some guys, and I, I think I said this with Stephen Stephen Wright when on the show. Might have been with Trevor Whitman. But some guys fight to win, and some guys fight to break people. It's like you attack your opponent's weakness to beat him. You attack a man's strength to break him. Michael Irvin said that. And he said, that's what he does. I attack these DBs on their strengths because I break their will. And once they're broken, you can't fix it. But when you attack somebody at their strength, you're playing with fire. And the thing with Tony Ferguson, he has all these skills. He has all this freedom and creativity. But the thing about him is he he fights dumb. He gives people chances. Like, like, this is the, like if you fight Floyd Mayweather, let's just bring back to boxing or Andre Ward. You have to create an opening. You have to find an opening. Somebody like Tony Ferguson... He gives you openings, and he will give it to you multiple times before he decides, I need to play a little bit safe, get control, and then he'll start giving you openings all over again. He did it against Dan and Castillo. When he fought Lando Venata, people were like, well, that was a short-notice fight, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to hear it, dude. You're a professional fighter. You have a reach, length, conditioning advantage, and a volume advantage over this guy. How do you not just play it smart and feel him out the first round? Nope. What did he do? Come barreling in thinking he's going to run this guy over, walking into head kicks, walking into counter counter rights and lefts, getting knocked around, put on skates by a guy who hadn't even had one fight in the UFC because he didn't fight a disciplined, measured fight. He came in there thought he was just going to walk through the guy. And I don't care if it was a short-notice guy, short-notice fight. Your team should have known better, and you as a professional should know I'm fighting another professional. I need to watch what I do in that cage. So either him, his lack of, his lack of cage IQ, and his cockiness cost him and forced him into a really tough fight, or his team didn't have the right resources to find out what what Lando Venata was about and got him exposed. That's what happened. One of those two people failed, or both of them. It's possible. It's not a popular opinion, but I'm just stating facts because I deal with situations like this. If you do not, do not have the resources to find out about a guy in a last-second fight, then at least have the self-control to use a measured, deliberate attack to protect yourself and maximize your strengths against him until you can figure out what's happening. Don't walk into head kicks. That's just... It was it was kind of embarrassing the way he was getting knocked around like that against Danny Castillo. He just got out wrestled, and he won from the bottom. But how often do you ever see that happen? He gives people chances, and that's where Kevin Lee has an advantage because Kevin Lee is probably the better athlete. He might be the bigger puncher as far as one punch power, and Ferguson's going to give you opportunities. He's going to run in. He's going to throw a little volume. He's going to apply a lot of pressure. He's going to transition ranges a lot. You're going to have your chances to get your hands on Ferguson. You're going to have your chances to put your hands on him, to land punches on him, land knees and kicks on him. As busy as he is and as active and as tough as he is, you know why we know he's tough? You know why, why we know he's got a lot of heart? Because he gets hit a whole lot repeatedly by guys who are on the decline. Josh Thompson was touching him left and right. Danny Castillo put some hands on him. Lando Venata put some hands on him. Everybody who's fought him has put hands on him. His toughness and his ability to transition ranges has allowed him to navigate that to get into the positions he wants to to win. That's been the difference. But without that toughness, he's not the guy he, he's been the past two years or so. The problem with Kevin Lee is, even though he's offensively dangerous with his striking and his wrestling, 
He's not very great. He's not great with control. And if you can't control Ferguson on the ground, you're eventually going to get submitted or you're going to get reversed and get beat within an inch of your life. That's the advantage Khabib has. Khabib can take guys down. And when he puts them down, he puts them down and keeps them down and he controls them. They're not getting submission attempts up. They're not getting anything. They're just getting fists in the face and arms snapped. Kevin Lee doesn't have that level of control. And Kevin Lee also does not have that level of defense when a guy really puts pressure on him. And when Ferguson keys in and uses his length and uses his volume and uses his, his aggression intelligently, he cuts the cage down and he just chops you up with kicks, knees, elbows, and punches from every range, from long range to mid range to inside. And Lee's defense under duress is just awful. He can excuse it any way he wants. This guy caught me off guard. I was lazy. I came out cold. No, your defense sucks. His defense is only as effective as his offense allows him to be. Ferguson's not afraid of his offense. Ferguson's got hit by bigger hitters and better hitters. So the only chance Lee has is to take advantage of one of those openings and kind of turn Ferguson's lights out. I don't think Ferguson, I don't think Lee has that kind of power. And I know Lee doesn't have that kind of wrestling. And I know he doesn't have that kind of grappling skill. I, I just, in my mind, I know that he doesn't have those things. So he, is, he has the ability to put him in bad positions, but I don't think he has the discipline or the finishing ability to finish a guy of Ferguson's caliber. On the other hand, I think Ferguson has the pace, the cardio, the durability, and the all-round skills to finish somebody like Lee. Lee's defense on the ground and on the feet falls apart under extreme duress. And no matter what I say about Tony's discipline or his, his lack of cage IQ, there's one thing you know is going to happen. He's going to put whoever he's fighting under pressure, under extreme duress. And it's your job to be able to handle it. Kevin Lee has not shown that he can handle that. And that's going to be the difference in the fight. That's going to be pretty interesting there. So, because I was listening to a lot of uh, different commentary around this fight, and a lot of people are talking about Kevin Lee being someone who could be a star from a talking standpoint. And I don't disagree with him there. I mean, I do kind of want. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean? What do you mean talking? Like, as in hyping himself up? No. Promoting a fight. Eh, I'm not gonna call. I'm not. I'm not gonna totally agree with you there. I definitely liked. Um, He's not TJ Dillashaw his... bad, but uh, maybe I'm used to a higher, a higher level, a higher level of trash talk. That that dude, that dude is that dude doesn't impress. He <laughs> he knows how to agitate people. He's I guess in an annoying sense, like he's annoying and he's cocky. But he ain't said nothing slick. He ain't said nothing that where I got to replay it and be like, ooh, oh, he got him there. He, he didn't say nothing, dude. He, he's kind of he's kind of basic. I mean, he's almost Floyd Mayweather like with the trash talk. It's pretty pre, pretty pre-programmed in one one note. I'm not impressed with it. But um, yeah, that's a, that's pretty interesting there. I, I I think I would like to see him and kind of get into some trash talk there, just because he's. I feel like he definitely adds a different wrinkle that uh, is not in the game right now. Um, but we'll but we'll see what happens with that. I definitely do agree with you. I think Ferguson's going to take the victory, and he'll be the man to get his hand raised. Do you think that they make that fight with Ferguson and McGregor next, or does McGregor look around and say, "Hmm, maybe I want to fight Tyron Woodley. Maybe I do want to go back to 145." You know, he's still talking like he's a 45-pound champ even though he's never defended either one of these titles that he's won, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, what do you think he does next? Do you, do you think that they put him against Ferguson, or does he look around and see what other options there? What if he decides, hey, 
GSP is here. GSP is back. That's a money. That's a money fight. They can make that fight there. There's so many different options. What do you think is next uh, after this Tony Ferguson, Kevin Lee fight? I really have no idea because the thing about it is coming off this Mayweather fight, if he if he was even competitive for two to three rounds, like his star his, his his star and his presence in the consciousness of America has 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 increased so much. Like that's why Floyd brought him in because he brings in a fan base and Floyd. Floyd's letting the dude, he's, he's letting the guy play through. He's letting him show his full array of personality and characteristics and habits and sayings. Like, he's going to be 10 times the star he was before he left. The UFC can't force him to do anything. And everybody's going to want to fight him because he's the only guy they can make money against. Connor can make money fighting anybody. Just like Oscar De La Hoya can make money fighting anybody, Floyd Mayweather can fight me on pay-per-view. And I guarantee you he'll find a way to make at least $200 million off of that. At least he'll find some way to convince you that Shawan's got a good chance. Shawan has got experience. He's got a nice jab. I, I don't know what might happen today. He can do that. McGregor McGregor's going to be almost impossible to deal with because he's got so much so much cachet and so much notoriety now. I mean, even he's not even fighting and everybody's still talking about him. He's preparing for a boxing match and everybody still is talking about Conor McGregor. He's he's pretty much going to do whatever he wants to do. I guess it's whatever he decides to do because. Nobody's gonna bully him into anything, and nobody's got enough money or enough say or enough cachet to trap him into a corner where he has to do what they want him to do. It's just whatever challenge he chooses to take. It's pretty much it. Who does he want to fight? GSP. If GSP could get a fight with McGregor, he will take it. If he beats Michael Bisping, I can see him dropping the belt and then retiring again, and then saying, "You know what? I, I I'm gonna come back, but I'll come back for McGregor." I mean, he. He holds all the cards in this case. He he's gonna do whatever he wants to do. He's he's no longer an employee. He's like a coworker to Dana now. Yeah, you definitely right about boss. that. Yeah, you're definitely right. He's definitely a um coworker there. There was another big fight that was announced today too. Uh Leonardo Machio is finally making his return to competition and he's facing off against Derek Brunson, of all people, on October twenty eighth, I believe. Um yes, October twenty eighth in Sao Paulo. Uh, what are your thoughts about that, man? W what type of Machito do we see coming back? You know, I think he's someone who's always been stellar. You know, he's just never been able to get back into that title picture. He's always someone who's like, who can I compare him to? Um, I think he is what they want Frankie Edgar to be for featherweights, but Frankie's still just too good at that point. He's not a gatekeeper, but he's someone like this where if you can beat Lyoto, okay, then you're ready for a title shot. My, my whole concern with this is Derek Brunson historically has lost to guys who were effective at controlling pace and countering. Anderson Silva, you know, that was a 50-50 loss. The fact of the matter, it shouldn't have even gone that far. The same Anderson Silva who's getting put on skates and put on his butt by Michael Bisping was eating Brunson's best shots, not going down. Brunson, the same, the same Anderson Silva who got taken down years ago by Nate Marquardt and Travis Luter was stuffing Derek Brunson's takedowns. Like... I don't, I don't know that it was a fair decision, but the fight shouldn't even gone to decision. The fact that that happened showed me something about Derek. My problem is Derek has a problem with counters. He ran into counters versus Robert Whitaker, Romero, Silva. He, he's routinely had an issue dealing with guys who can counter strike. And Leona Machida is yet another guy who can counter strike. If you, Leona Machida is not completely shot, reflexes gone, and just worthless. 
I, I might I might have to go with Machida on this because he's a he's a counter guy, and Brunson has no idea how to consistently generate effective, active offense against a guy who is not giving him openings, a guy who is not willing to engage him. Against Romero, he didn't land as much as, as as you would think he would. Not when compared to what Whitaker did to him. Against Whitaker, he landed, but he was walking into shots for, from minute one to the minute he got his lights put out. Against against Anderson, a slow, decrepit Anderson, he couldn't even really pressure him on the cage or cut him off. Anderson was backing him off with every shot he threw because Brunson was so hesitant to walk into a counter. The only guy he's blown through and looked really dominant against was Uriah Hall, who's hit or miss. And Daniel Kelly. That's not a good sign. That's not a good sign for a guy who's supposed to be a top 10 middleweight. There's a very good chance that, that Leota Machida puts his lights out on the counter. I mean, I definitely agree with you. There's a very good chance for Leota to get I mean, another one of his oh, highlight reel knockouts. Before I interrupt, sorry to interrupt. Right. Against Rockhold on the feet, he didn't look bad against Rockhold on the feet. Rockhold won that fight taking him down and put it on him. On the feet, he was touching Rockhold up. Rockhold wasn't just doing whatever he wanted to on the feet. He was landing on the feet against uh, Rockhold. Yeah, you're totally right there. You're totally right. So Brunson's best option is to take him down and pound him out. But I haven't seen Brunson really dominate anybody with wrestling in a while. And secondly, Brunson, his fight IQ is just not there. He's made fights more difficult by forcing firefights instead of using his wrestling as a way to, to set up his strikes or using his wrestling just to control guys and beat him up. It's like he's had a wrestling advantage in a lot of fights, and he doesn't really use it that much. He to throw hands and to do that unless Leoto shot there's a good chance he gets put out the last time I saw um, Brunson I'm not going to say dominate but control someone with his wrestling was against um, oddly enough Yoel Romero until he got touched and got obliterated in the third round remember he was winning that fight until he got his face blown off um, so there's definitely that situation there, but I can definitely see Leoto uh, touching him up for, I think this is a five round fight, five round main event, touching him up enough to get a stoppage like in the third round or so. My only concern with his dominate, his domination of Romero is at no point could he secure her and maintain position. And that's even to beat Leoto, that's what you have to do. You have to take him down and you have to really wail on him. You have to be able to control him and really put the, put the fists on him. He didn't do that for Romero. He kept taking him down. He kept controlling him up against the cage, but he wasn't just putting him on his back and just handling him. That never happened. You know, even against even even against Anderson, he wasn't just having his way with Anderson on the ground. He took him down after a struggle, and Anderson was still landing on the feet. And even when he took Anderson down, there was a couple times Anderson got back up. Anderson Silva, he's nobody's wrestler. I mean, it's one thing when Joel Romero gets back up. That's Joel Romero, Olympian, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Anderson Silva is getting back up off your takedowns. He's stuffing your shots. I mean, Daniel Cormier was like, where did he learn to wrestle? So either Anderson's a lot better wrestler in his in his late years, or Derek Brunson is not nearly as good as we've been giving him credit for as a striker or a wrestler. I can agree with you there. I can definitely agree with you on that point there. So we have, I wanted to talk about um, a couple of, there's another fight that was announced for this same card. I think there was, Two or three other fights that were announced for UFC 216. We got Fabrico Verdum, Derek Lewis. That fight was announced today. Is this the fight? You know, Derek Lewis is coming back out of out of retirement that lasted what two months. Is yeah, this the retire, fight? Retirement doesn't mean nothing. I'm just gonna stop ignoring when people say they retire. Like, so you're just exactly. taking a break, right? Like, I don't like you're taking a break until um, 
it is until you someone waves a, a check in your hand. Yeah, it's like when somebody says, "I'm not working here. My morals, my character. Oh well, here's gonna we're gonna give you a fifty percent raise." Well, you know, I can well, do. You know, rent's I, can, due. I can make a change from the inside. I have to change it from the inside. Me leaving won't fix anything. I need to make the changes from the inside while you get paid more, of course. Yes, yes, of course. That's just a side note. I'm making changes. So, what are your what are your thoughts on this fight here? Is this an interesting fight that you want to see? My Ming, I really think it. I think Lewis can win this fight because Verdum is not as quick as he used to be. He does not take a punch like he used to do, but he's still super aggressive, and that's not a good recipe. Even though people keep telling you about, you know, Lewis is the black beast. He's a wrecking machine. He's really not. He doesn't. He doesn't take punishment well enough to be a wrecking machine. What he does do very well that nobody notices is he baits you in by backing to the fence and then when you come in he explodes with body kicks huge punches counter shots he's very good at that and recently verdum has had a bad habit of walking into counter shots that he got walked into the same shot twice which which is how he lost the belt in the first place i think i think lewis is big enough strong enough and explosive enough and verdum's lost enough of a step that he's going to walk into something it's possible Verdum could take him down and work him over, but once again, when have you seen that guy? I haven't seen that Fabricio in like three or four years. Even when he beat Mark Hunt, he was getting hit a lot. When he beat Cain Velasquez, he was getting hit a lot. Velasquez isn't a big hitter. Mark Hunt put him on his butt. Stevie Neokic put him out, and even even um, Alistair Overeem was able to shake him up a couple times with some good shots. So I'm thinking that Verdum's on the decline, and maybe he has the last hurrah here. But I don't see it. He hasn't really looked great. He hasn't been finishing guys. And he hasn't been able to maintain the pace or the aggression we're used to seeing from him because his chin hasn't held up and neither has his cardio. And um, if he slows the step or he comes in wild, I fully expect Derek Lewis to catch him with something on the counter and put him away. Is this a fight where a win for Derek Lewis puts him in, a, in the title picture? I hope not. <laughs> Why not? I really, I just don't think that dude's done enough. I mean, I just, I'm sorry. He hasn't done enough. Beating, beating Verdum, who's lost to Stipe and lost to Alistar, that's, that's not good enough, man. You got to do something else. I mean, it's a heavyweight division, so maybe he gets one. But in any other division, that's not worth a title shot. That's no good. That's like Ray Bohr getting a title shot. It's not really well-deserved. I mean, I mean he, yeah, you know, he's got it because... He had a little bit of help from Demetrius Johnson because he's whooped everybody else's ass. That's basically where that's coming from. Yeah, that, I mean, if, if he gets a fight with Stipe, that's the reason he's getting it because Stipe has been running through everybody. So since he's so dominant, they got to find someone to throw at him. Kane's injured, as usual. Andre Arvlowski hasn't had a win in how long? Roy Nelson's gone. Mark Hunt has only got one win over Derrick Lewis. But it would be weird if Derrick Lewis gets a title shot when Mark Hunt just beat his, beat his behind. That would seem on to be. Junior DeSanto's already had one. Francis Ngano, I mean, pick from. So I, I guess you could throw him in there, but after seeing how he performed against Mark Hunt, I, I don't think he beats Stipe. I, I just don't I don't see that going. I don't, even, I don't know if that's even a good fight. He could sell it. He's a character. He has a lot of fans. He draws eyes, so I can see them making that fight for that reason. But based off of just accomplishments of fighting, oh, God, no. He hasn't be, he isn't really beaten anybody worth anything. One of his biggest wins was Travis Brown. You know, I mean, come on, man. Uh, yeah, like there's, I mean, you know, that's that's the UFC that we're in nowadays. Um, 
Did you watch uh, the Dana White Contender Series from this past week? Uh, yes, I saw. I saw a couple of the fights there. What were your thoughts, man, um, on the two individuals that got contracts? Did you think Jamie Colleen should have got a, a, a contract for her last uh, second or her 10-second victory come, come from behind win? I really I really thought that was going to do something. When you have fights like that, I, I always think that both fighters are going to get a shot. You know, just because of the drama and the action and the pace, it's like it's the kind of fight that it's the kind of thing that just has a storyline built in. Because people are really invested in the winner and the loser. Like the winner pulled it out, the loser lost on the greatest stage, two steps away from getting a UFC contract. It kind of builds in a fan base automatically. So I was kind of shocked that they didn't go ahead with it. That was kind of shocking to me. My my shot my my ideas of the show are the same as always. I don't understand why we have tough anymore, and this show is just amazing. It's just it always delivers. You got young, hungry, top prospects getting opportunity to perform and getting paid they're not doing any exhibition fights and they're putting on great fights they're putting on great performances even when the fights are blowouts it's somebody actually going out there and doing work not just you know because they're facing such an an inferior level of opposition it's just it's just very it's well done it's very impressive it's grassroots and it's kind of breathed the breath of fresh air into the whole uh franchise of the ufc in my opinion it's it's the best thing they got going right now I definitely think it is a, it is the best show that they have going right now. It's 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 exciting in a different way because you see these men men and women coming out there and fighting, and you're like, who's gonna get to the contract this time? Who's gonna put on a, a good fight? And it's you know we may know a little bit about these men and women, but these are totally new faces to the fight community. You kind of don't know what's gonna happen. So I think it was uh, I think it was it, it's been a good event so far. I hope it does fully replace. Dawson Fighter and Dana White looking for a fight. I can't stand either one of those two shows, but I think well, there's the, a lot. The best thing about it is instead of having these guys hurt their brand and hurt their image by getting drunk and saying something racial or picking another or fight with another, you know, and all this stuff, they're just getting in based off skills. Fans are liking them based off pure fighting skill and their story to put them in a position to showcase their skills instead of. You know, somebody got in a the fight, they got drunk, he didn't make weight, oh, he hates this nationality. It, it's just, it's so much drama. It's just, every, every person who made it on the show, made it the UFC, made it based on skills. They have fans based off skills, and they're making it, this is good. The reason I think this is good for the UFC is because the UFC has been accused of playing up the image and the Hollywood aspect of fighting. So this show is bringing it back to the basics, where it's literally about what you've done in the cage, outside of the UFC, and what you do on one night in the cage in the UFC, which is what the hardcore fans really want. They want people earning their spot and getting their opportunities based off what they can do, not who they are, how much trash they talk. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a new look at this entry point to the fight game, and it's something that I've been enjoying. There's another story I wanted, the new story I wanted to touch on from this week. Frank Mir joining Bellator. I mean, I'm not surprised. He is still suspended by USADA through August, I believe. So is this is this a right move? Do you want to see Frank Mir fight guys like Matt Mitrione, maybe fight uh, Fedor or fight someone else as a heavyweight? Or you're just like, meh, like, you know, it's just them picking up another name that can get uh, bloody. Well, there's two things. I think one, once again, the heavyweight division is so thin and, and Bellator's is super thin. They need a name. They need someone who can draw some eyes. And he can still fight. He just can't take a punch. But he can still fight. 
And secondly, Frank Mir, as far as an analyst, like calling fights and breaking down fights, he is, is great. He's a little biased. He gets a little, he gets crushes on guys and tends to favor certain people. But as far as a technical analysis, he he's he's very good. He is excellent, and he'd be a great addition, you know, to switch up some of their color commentary. That is true. You know, that is definitely true. So they can get they can get two things out of Frank Mir. They can use him until he can fight. Have him comment on the fights. Have him bring it out. He's great. And this gives him an opportunity moving forward with Bellator, which I'm guaranteeing you they, made the, they put that offer on the table for him. They, they definitely put that offer on the table because he complained about how the UFC did, didn't use him as an announcer and an analyst anymore. So now he's got a fresh start. And even if his career does not perform on the front end, he can be like Chael Sonnen, calling in fights, having shows, kind of building his own brand off of the Spike and Viacom, Viacom's dime. So that that's where that's the duality of his skills is what gives him the most value. As far as a fighter, there's a lot of guys on Bellator he could finish. I mean, just with his submission ability, he could get knocked down and, and quickly grab on a submission. There's guys he can beat. I know he wants to fight Fedor. I still think Fedor beats him because that shot that Mitrione hit Fedor with, the Fedor was getting up from before he got knocked out, that shot would have knocked Frank Mir clean out. Punishment. He's a great fighter. He can box. He can kickbox. He can grapple. He can wrestle a little bit. He just can't take any sort of real sh- punishment. And that's been his... If Frank Mir had a chin, he'd be one of the all-time great heavyweight champ, heavyweight fighters, MMA fighters in history. His submission and finishing ability is that good. His striking's come along. But he just can't... He can't win exchanges because he can't take it. And what's crazy is that I totally agree with you there. Like, who... Who was a better heavyweight grappler than Frank Mir? As far as finishes? No, or, I don't or, know who. Or just in general. Like, I mean, you could maybe say we're doomed, but who else besides that? Yeah, I mean, the guy who was considered the best guy. I mean, I know we're doomed beat Nogueira too, but Mir broke I mean, he fucking broke, he broke his Man, it was disgusting when he broke his arm. And the arm break he had on uh, Tim Sylvia where he snapped the dude's arm like a toothpick. Yeah, like, his, his 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 ability to finish. He's, I mean, think about the people he's finished. He's finished Brock Lesnar. He's finished Nogueira. Who else has he finished? I just, I mean, he's and then he's just knocked out and finished a lot of guys that way too. But he's one of the best finishers and one of the most highest percentage submission fighters in in MMA history as far as a heavyweight. It it's hard to it's hard to think of a guy who's had as much success in actual grappling, not ground and pound, not take you down and beat you up. But actual applied submission hole finishes as Frank Mir. I can't think of too many. Maybe Nagaro's the only guy I can think of. Verdum's a great grappler, but how many guys has he really just outgrappled and finished? Recently, he's just been beating guys up. Mir's been a submission threat his entire career from the day he started to the day he ended. Yeah, so I, I think, I mean, I think this is a pickup, you know, that this is a Bellator esque Scott Coker type pickup. You know, we'll see what, what he does, what they do with him. And uh, we'll see what's next. You know, I'm not, I'm not too excited about this, about this uh, signing. But at the same time, you know, it is what it is. It's like that's that's kind of the fight game. Yeah, it's it's not a signing that like, oh my god, they got him. It's not a big, it's not a big get. And the fact that he's a young, upcoming heavyweight with potential for a long career, it's a big get because they'll get you some, some in the wrestling we call the cheap heat, that real quick response, some some up kick and, and ratings. And then, like I said, he can also 
comment on fights and, and that that brings i actually think his biggest value is going to be as a commentator in the next year or two but um you know at least initially it's still a name it's still a guy you can make some interesting matchups with he beat congo before in ufc maybe they can have a rematch there there's the fedor you know frank mir fight if frank submits him you know it puts him in the mix as far as you know being an, a name guy so i mean there's there's things they can do with him but he's not a long-term solution he's a short-term solution and I hope they're bringing in more young fighters as we speak because Frank's not a long-term solution for anything. The UFC, if he was a long-term solution, the UFC wouldn't have got rid of him. They would have found a way to keep him in there. But they know that he's not long as a as elite fighter, and so they're not. They're not. They don't mind taking the hit and losing him. What's interesting is that um, is that oh man, what was I about to say? Totally forgot what I was about to say there. Uh, I agree with you when it comes to. Oh, that, yeah, that's it. Wasn't Randy Couture talking about a heavyweight return? Wasn't he talking about a return at some point in time? I could totally see them throwing that fight together too, as well, putting Couture in there against Frank Mir at, at some point in time. And I wouldn't. I mean, who would put that past him? Yeah, I mean, that would be weird. I mean, I. I mean, Bellator, they're. They're getting better as a legitimate organization, but they still get most of their heat and most of their run from these weird carnival kind of sideshow acts. The Heather Hardy thing, I know she's a legitimate mixed martial artist now, but a major card like that is, and her first MMA fight is a bit of a sideshow. Aaron Pico is a bit of a sideshow. Even Sonnen Silva is a bit of a sideshow. Fedor Mitrione, still. A bit of a sideshow but they're doing what it takes to get eyes on their product because all they care about is the bottom line right now they'll address the quality and the depth of divisions as they go along right now they need to get butts and seats eyes on screens pay-per-view dollars down ratings up and they're doing whatever it takes to to, to do that and like if frank mirror has name value he still matters to a certain segment of the fan base and that's all. And that's what they're hoping that it's going to pay off for them. They saw what Tito did for them, what Stephen Bonner did for them, what Chael's done for them. They're hoping Frank can continue in that same vein. Yeah, I, I can see that happening there. So before we close out the show, as always, you know, let the um, let our listeners know what you're working on for this week. Uh, I actually just sent in my article on the Journeyman is a uh, MMA for dummies. It's a breakdown of the 10 things you need to know about journeyman. Most people, like I said last week, people talk about, they say things like a prospect or a journeyman or this kind of fighter. And I'm basically going through what makes them valuable, their place in the sport, and how they import, impact the sport in regards to organizations, individual camps, and individual fighters. Because like I said, in journeymen are like the blue collar workers of the world. They're the ones who actually make up all the money and the products that keep the rich people rich and the poor people are trying to aspire to. They're the ones who do all that stuff. And the journeymen are the ones who do the heavy lifting in all forms of mixed martial arts, in all, excuse me, in all forms of combat sports. You don't have journeymen. You don't get superstars. You don't get prospects who take, up the, take the next step. You don't have ranked fighters who've, who've improved and developed over a period of time in their career. The journeyman is the impetus for all of that. And I just want to make a kind of a detailed breakdown of what they do, what they bring to the sport, and how you can recognize one and what the what the attributes are one of. So that when you see a fighter, they say, hey, this guy's a journeyman or he's a gatekeeper is another name they call him. You know what they mean and you, you know why, that's, why that has value. 
yeah, that, that definitely is an interesting piece I'm looking forward to reading there. I um, myself worked on some coverage for Combat Sports as usual. Um, there's two pieces on Bloody Elbow this week about that. I did some work for MMA ratings this week as well. That should be up. Um, I have a little bit to talk about there. And let me see. I can't even remember the work I did there. Let me, man, let me pull it up real quick. Let me see, because it's kind of important for me to know what I wrote about, don't you think? Let me see. Yeah. Hard it's been advertising when you don't know what you Actually, wrote. yes. So I um, talked about UFC 215, if that event has been put in a position to fail, because they have they have both um, who? Um, they have Amanda mm-hmm. Nunez yeah. and Valentina Shevchenko, and they have Demetrius Johnson and Ray Borg in the main event. But Dana White has already been talking negatively about both of those champions. And where a, a month out from the event, there's no promotion. Hasn't even been posted really on their on, on Instagram, a social media outlet. So you got to wonder exactly what are they... This, this event is going to fail. And then they're going to turn around and blame it on the fighters instead of blaming it on like looking at the promotion as a whole because I'm I'm interested in seeing what that looks like once once this event is over so that's going to be something to see um, so I wrote about that and I also talked about uh, McGregor, McGregor and Mayweather what these next few weeks are going to be like because you know we're um, we're nine days out from the event so we're man I'm just I again I'm excited for this to be over but I'm excited to see what happens. I think it's going to be pretty interesting once we're all said and done. They should call UFC 215, either UFC 215 no fucks given, or UFC 215, we don't care, and neither should you. One of those names should stick. Wow, that's, 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 that's definitely a, a good way to put it there, sir. I'm not, not too mad at you for that. I mean, I, I don't like to ever say a, a promoter is sabotaging someone, but it's real hard not to Man, they're that. getting close. They're getting close it, it to is. this fight there. It's like, why did they put these two fights on the same card, and what sucks be- is if Shevchenko and Bork upset these 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 women or, or these fighters and win, no one's going to be watching to even see the upset. So it's like, why did why did you screw all four parties over? If Shevchenko beats Amanda Nunes, that's not an upset. That's a correction from the first fight. And all, and to be honest, you know the only thing they could do to make this worse if they really wanted to show that they had no respect for Tyron Woodley is to have him. The, the second, the co-main, or the third title fight on this card, then you would really know that Dana just has, does not care about any of these people's career, and he's trying to screw. If he did that to Tyrone Woodley, I'd be like, you know what? It's a racial thing. I'm sorry. I, I don't have no explanation. He really hates you. He really wants to see you burn. Tyrone, you're right. I owe you a formal apology. I'm on your bandwagon. Dana is sabotaging careers. That's the only way. If he would have done that to him, I would have been like, wow. So he was right. All the there's nothing else I could say. He's got a he's got a, a gay woman and two black males on the worst selling card in mixed martial arts history. Oh my God, he he really doesn't care. He really hates these people. Conclusion. Yeah, I'm not gonna disagree with you there um, at all, Schwan. So now with that in mind, uh, you can check us all out. You can catch us. Next week, we'll be back next Thursday. That's the 24th, hopefully with a guest. We're trying to find somebody to book on our show for next week. So be sure to check us out. Where can they catch us, Swan? Let us know. Uh, what is it? It's YouTube. Uh, 
was it Stitcher, SoundCloud? Yeah, we got YouTube, we got YouTube Go uh, Stitcher, um, SoundCloud, of course. And I, and I want to thank y'all. We the show came out a little bit late on SoundCloud, but you know, because considering how late it came out, a lot of people listened to it, and the people who didn't get it on SoundCloud kind of hit our YouTube page up, and we had more than the average YouTube user. So thank you very much for looking out for our content. Uh, those are the places you can find it, Stitcher, YouTube, SoundCloud. And um, if you have any questions or you want us to talk about a certain not t- topic on the show, you can reach us on Twitter. You can leave a comment on the page. We are more than happy to re- to meet your requests and to address the topics that you want to have addressed. Definitely. That's always the case, man. So we will be back here next week. And uh, let's definitely sit down and keep an eye on the show and yeah man let's just focus on what we got next man so appreciate you sir and we'll be back next week all right you guys take it easy have a good one all right